How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Uh, normally, we would just continue on in our regular Bible study series. We've been working through 2 Timothy. But uh, the Lord's laid it on my heart to change things up a little bit because of how we ended uh, yesterday's Bible study. We were doing 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we got we were talking about the state of things. You know, perilous times will come. We're talking about the state of the world and everything, the state of Christianity and the churches, and what we can do to fight back, to be able to push back, to be able to continue on in the things of the Lord. And we got into talking about prayer and fasting. And in that, I also spoke a little bit about a, a challenge that I would issue out to people, and that is to take this seriously, the idea, the principle of prayer and fasting seriously, and to consider putting yourself uh, in a state of prayer and fasting for three days. For three days. And a uh, few people said that they'd be willing to do that. And so what I wanted to do is talk about prayer and fasting, what it is, what it is not. And biblically, as it teaches us, how do we go about it? How do you start? How do you begin? Like, what is it? What's all involved? And what is prayer and fasting for? What is prayer and fasting not for? So this is what we're going to get into today. And I hope that you'll enjoy this. And if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up, make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons, so and we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of other goodies and content. So today we're going to be looking into prayer and fasting. So please grab your Bibles, notepads and pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, come join us at the table, grab your snacks. And while we're talking about prayer and fasting, and come join us at the table. And uh, if you... If there's anything you would like to bring up in this, anything you'd like to mention, anything you chime in, discuss, if you've got any comments, questions, issues, insights, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. I uh, would be glad to hear from you. Okay, the context today is prayer and fasting. So if you have anything on that topic, please go ahead. If it's not related to the topic at hand of prayer and fasting, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, as we want to try to keep this study specifically designated to this topic, this discussion of prayer and fasting. Okay? Okay, so, as you see in the comments, I have a verse there, James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we see the command that it's it's more than just reading the Word of God. It's more than just even reading and studying it, as we've been talking an awful lot about the importance, the necessity of studying the Word. Now, we talk about the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, the Berean method, interpretation, application, demonstration. Now, what we want to talk a bit about today is the third point, demonstration. Demonstration of faith, the demonstration of belief, the demonstration of the love of the heart of Christ is how seriously, not just how we read it, think of it, and meditate on it, but also apply it, not just spiritually, physically. How we apply it physically. As we do see, the uh, 
uh, religious observances and Bible reading, prayer, going to church, singing the, singing the songs and charity and outreaches and all this. But those are things that, that we do as we see for the Lord and for others. What about ourselves? What about ourselves? Because we can go about in all fervency, going to church, reading the Bible, singing the hymns, helping the poor and needy and all this other stuff and praying. And But what about when it comes to actual physical observances and things for ourselves in self-discipline? Self-discipline. Now, we got to be careful when we talk about this, when we, when we uh, come down to this topic, because there's a lot of misunderstandings, misapplications, a lot of people don't quite get it. And they, the way they treat these kinds of things is almost monkish, where they, where they think that this is the secret key that will fix everything and that this makes me closer to the Lord. No, 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 no. You are already close to the Lord. You already are close to the Lord. You're held in his hand. His spirit indwells you. He stands by your side. He surrounds you with his cloud, with his angels. And you are indwelt, surrounded by, held by the hand of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the power of the Lord, washed in his blood. I mean, how much closer can you get? You're a child of the living God. You don't have to earn his favor. You have his favor because you have his son. So there are things that we need to understand first and foremost, that prayer and fasting, what it is not for, is to bring you closer to God. Now we kind of talk about that, kind of address that in some ways, but some, some I think, get a, a bit of a misunderstanding in this. And we see in many other uh, preachers, teachers, and Christians and whatnot kind of teach in that way that prayer and fasting is to get you closer to God. No. You already are as close as you can possibly get. So what it is more is a bringing yourself to the understanding of that. You get that? It's to bring you to the understanding of that. That my value in the Lord is not based upon what I do for the Lord, but rather my value is placed upon what he did for me. Because think about this one just for a moment. Because when we... When we truly understand the power of God and who he is, almighty sovereign Lord God came down to the cesspool of earth because he so loved me. Me. A wretched sinner condemned in my sins, a child of hell, a, an heir of the devil. He lo so loved me. That he made a way of salvation for me. He went to the cross. He shed his blood and died. He went through all of the horrible shame and pain. And, and the death, the burial, the resurrection for me. To save me. To, to rescue me from my condemnation. To save me from the wrath of God. To save me from the condemnation of my sins. And he poured upon me his grace, his love, his mercy. And he, and he washed me clean and indwelt me. And he changed me and he gave me a new name. And he wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He holds me in his hands. That's my value. My value is the infinite grace and love of Almighty God. 
Prayer and fasting. What it's for and what it is not for. Simply, to simply, uh, and we'll explore these things, is that the flesh gets in the way. The flesh wars with my spirit, and I cannot do the things that I would. My flesh hates the things of God. It hates Bible reading, it hates prayer, it hates righteousness, it, it, it opposes everything. Because the, the flesh, the flesh is not saved. You must understand this. When you do a study through the Word of God, and you take a look at the difference, the dichotomy between the spirit and the flesh, the flesh is condemned to die. The flesh is corrupted by sin. I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. My flesh wars with my spirit. That I know that that uh, with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the with, but with the flesh the law of sin. I serve the law of sin. The flesh is corrupted by sin, is condemned to die. It opposes everything of God, and it opposes my faith. The flesh opposes my faith. It opposes my faith. It opposes all understanding of the things of the Lord, and it does not love the Lord. And so with that, the flesh is going to seek to alter my thinking. The flesh is going to seek to alter my understanding of the scriptures. My flesh is going to seek to alter my prayer life. And not just that, my flesh is going to seek to alter my outlook. My outlook on the faith, my outlook on my walk with Christ. My flesh, in a way is a corrupted, works-based ideologist. Because the flesh does not understand grace, the flesh will seek to consistently, continuously change everything back to, I have to earn his favor. That, that, that in moments of distress, the flesh cries out, maybe I'm not even saved because I keep falling in sin. Because I keep falling in temptations. But the Spirit knows. The Spirit understands grace. And the Spirit cries out to the mercy of God. The Spirit understands that I'm saved by grace through faith and not of works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. My Spirit understands. But my flesh sometimes can get a bit louder than my Spirit. My flesh wars with my Spirit, subdues my Spirit. And my flesh will bring its own ideologies and thinking to the forefront. Prayer and fasting switches that order back around. Because fasting, what it does is it helps silence, mute, hinder, oppose the flesh. It disciplines, it chastises the flesh, and it brings to the forefront the understanding of spirit. And how we walk in spirit, it's all of spirit. And how we are held in the hand of the Father, he will not cast us away. We already have his favor, and we get focused on Christ and his grace and not on ourselves. Because the flesh wants you to focus on yourself. It's all about you, your walk, your, uh, your earning a favor, your righteousness, your religiosity, you, me, my, I, and prayer and fasting switches that back around. It, it, it's what holds the flesh in its place where it's supposed to be. And we crucify the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Prayer and fasting, how it all starts is with a personal understanding who we are before the Lord, our weaknesses, 
and a desire, a desire to want to walk closer with the Lord. We are in the Lord. We can't get any closer than we are. But that is our placement. But do we act upon that? Do we dwell upon that? In mind, in heart, and in works. In physicality, in life. Is it that I am in the Lord, but do I live like it? Is my, does my life reflect that? So it starts with a longing of closeness with God in this life, in everything that I actually do. Understand, we are close to the Lord, but now I want to walk, I want to live like it. I want to live like it. I want to, I want to experience that. I want to uh, feel that, see that, think that, understand that. I want every aspect of this closeness in my life. It's radical Christianity. That we're not just content. We're not content with just modern Christianity with the status quo. I'm not content with that. I, I want a complete yielding. I desire, I long for, I truly want a complete yielding. I want a reform. I want to be reformed, changed, altered. I, that, that I, I'm done with the with the ways of this life, with the thinking of this life. I'm done with the dryness of religiosity. That, that I am born again saved, but you do you, you know what I mean when I talk about you know where the unsaved unsaved person they have this longing in inside them this emptiness and they they they're they're seeking for something but they don't know what and then they meet Christ and they get saved and they're complete. It's kind of like that that you're a born again Christian, you're born again saved, but it's like there's something missing. There's something missing. It's, and it's when I truly discover and understand the concept of walking it, the deliberate walking in closeness with God completes me. It completes me. It completes my understanding. It's a complete yielding, a reform, a personal change in faith and life. Seeking a contentedness that he is enough. He's enough that I, I I kind of lose the the desire of things of this world that that it becomes almost dead to me it, it doesn't really hold me that much I don't really find meaning that much in the things of this world anymore because I've learned that whatsoever state I am, I've learned therewith to be content because I'm content with Christ. The faith is sufficient. The faith is sufficient. That, that, that in walking in him and living in him, he completes me. He completes all things. He provides me, helps me, guides me that he is my all in all. Seeking contentment in him. Seeking a deliverance i.e. in a way salvation from myself i.e. my flesh i am born again saved from the condemnation of my sin 
but my my flesh that I'm chained to in this life holds me back and the desires of my flesh and the longings of my life of my flesh hold me back and I want to be saved from that I want to be delivered from myself is that how you feel you want that you've been looking for that you've been trying to figure out how to attain that how to how to discover this you, th- this is what you want. You want a deeper enlightenment, a deeper faith, a deeper walk. You, that uh, you understand there is a God. You do believe Him. You believe the gospel. You see it. You get it. But it's like it's almost like it's not enough, and that I I I want more of that. I want it to be as real to me as it was for them. The prophets, the apostles, the disciples, the people back then. I want it to be as deep and tangible and meaningful to me as it was for them. And it's like there's something missing here and now in our generation, in this time, in this era. It's like there's something missing. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Deeper faith. A deeper faith. That it's more than just the songs. It's more than 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 the the church buildings and the gatherings and the fellowship. It's more than just being a congregant. It's more than that than being in the pulpit and preaching to the people. It's more. It goes deeper. There's more, and I want that. Is that what you want? Is that how you feel? Is that what you've been looking for? Does this describe? the desire and the longing in your heart before before you even get uh, even to the point of prayer and fasting we must explore uh, some uh, some points first now this is a topic that I have taken very meaningfully to myself. I, I, I've studied this out, looked this out, I, I've researched this, studied this, read up on this, prayed about this, and truly sought to apply this aspect to my life as much as I can. This is something that means so much to me. It was the topic of prayer and fasting of the born-again Christian life and, and uh, the different aspects of it. So I'm talking from personal experience, not just study, personal experience and practice. And these are things that the Lord has shown me. These are things the Lord has taught me that I'm going to be bringing up. And I hope that this study is a help and an encouragement to you. And if you, again, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this, please feel free to chime in. So before we get going, as we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting, the first thing that you must understand is prayer and fasting doesn't save you you that the the prayer and fasting as much as you do that does not bring you closer to god the only thing that that does is being born again you must be born again you must be born again saved you must explore this. You must understand this. You must uh, examine this. Are you truly born again? How must? How am I born again? 
We're born uh, of flesh, we're born of water, born of, born of blood, but you must be born of spirit. It's a spiritual thing. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, our Savior, that he went to the cross for your sins, that we're all sinners, we've all fallen away, we're all become corrupt, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That God is not going to weigh your good against your bad. He's not going to weigh your religious observances. He's not going to investigate your life to see if you're worthy enough to enter heaven. He's not going to weigh your good against your bad. He's going to examine whether or not you've believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God or not. Romans 10, 9 to 10, as it says, if you confess with your mouth the belief of your heart, that you see that you're a sinner. You see, understand this. You're a sinner. Your sins have separated you from God. That without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Life is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It is not in us. We cannot earn it. We cannot merit it. It's not a reward. It's given to us by grace. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Not by righteous works which we have done, but by his mercy saved us, by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, washes us clean, seals us, holds us, saves us, and we're sealed into the day of rede uh, redemption. We go to be at the Lord. He holds us in, in his hand. 1 John 5.20 as it talks about this, how we've been given an understanding. The understanding is Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. And we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord, God, and Savior. Believe on the work that he did for our salvation, that he is the, the redemption, he's the atonement, he's, he's the redeemer, he's the Savior. And we believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon him. Tell him you believe. Tell him you want to be saved. You tell him you're sorry for your sins, all this, and, and you want to be saved. You see his work on the cross, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. This is the promise of God. And when we are born again, saved, Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we were redeemed, saved by the riches of his grace. Now as a disciple, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're born again, saved. Now we seek to follow him. Now the works we do are not to earn, but are done, uh, done out of love, done out of an observance of love because we want to, not because we have to. Not because we have to, because we want to. Because we see who he is, what he is, and we see the power of him, the truth of him, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be his servant. I want to go and speak for him, to work for him. I want him to work through me because I desire to have that relationship. The relationship like Abraham, a friend of God. Like David, a friend of God. We see these ones. The, 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 the Apostle John, the beloved. I want to be like that. I want a relationship like that. 
Like the relationship the prophets had, the apostles had, the disciples had, the early church had. I want that closeness. I'm not content with just having my golden ticket. I want a life that reflects the truth and the deepness of this. I want to not just be a hearer of the word, a doer also. That when people see me, they hear me, they know of me, they know that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they, they don't see me, they see him reflected through me, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we examine ourselves. We see that we are truly born again, saved by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone, as the word of God teaches. Now, now what? Now what? As Jesus says, now come, follow me, follow me. And this is where the fight starts. Christ says, follow me. The flesh says no. The flesh makes excuses. The flesh fights back. The flesh reaches behind and, and grasps all, all the clods of dirt and clings onto the rocks and grabs everything to try to slow us down. That we wind up having to drag ourselves along. And it's a fight. It's a tooth and nail fight. Every day, all day, all the time, the flesh fights us and does not want to follow. The flesh wants to follow itself. We're born again saved and we desire the spirit cries out, yes, Lord, and reaches forward. But the flesh pulls us back. So it always has that feeling like I just, I can't get close enough. I am born again saved. My salvation is not hinged upon my works. My, uh, my works, my fruit do not affect my salvation. My salvation is based upon that I have believed. That, that I have believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord, my God, my Savior. By grace through faith, I'm saved, and that my works, righteous works and law-keeping, commandment-keeping, all this other stuff does not affect my salvation. But it does affect my walk. It does, it does affect my, my relationship. It does affect the closeness to the Lord in this life. My spirit, my soul spirit, is held in the hand of the Father. Nothing can pluck me out. That means I can't pluck myself out either. But my flesh wars and is going to try to hinder. In a way, my flesh is like a devil. It's sinful. It's wicked. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? My tongue, an unruly fire full of poison, setting on fire the course of, the course of nature. My flesh, corrupted by sin, wars. doesn't fight. My flesh does not fight. It wars. Now you got to understand war. Now we know what a fight is. We've seen the videos. We, we, maybe even some of us have been in a fight. A fight is one thing, but our flesh does not fight us. It does not fight us. It wars. War is a whole completely different thing. It's not fighting. It is bloody, gruesome, chaotic destruction and death. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And it seeks to bring in this sense of 
death. As the enemy, the enemy of our souls, the devil, comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And our flesh does the exact same thing. It wants to steal our attention. It wants to kill our faith. It wants to destroy our walk with Christ. If your flesh had its way, it would turn you into a reprobate in the blink of an eye. A complete cast off and running into the arms of the devil. That's what your flesh would do. If it could have its way. And what we seek to do is we want to rein our flesh in. To tie it down, to crucify our flesh with the affections and lusts of the flesh. Because we want the Spirit to rule, the Spirit of Christ to rule in our lives. That what I want to see is light, not darkness. I want to feel the closeness of God, not the closeness of flesh in the world. I want to long after and lust after the, the, the powers of the Lord to, to work in my life, not the things of this world. And so, in this, there is a desire then with the understanding of repentance now please understand i'm not talking about repentance to earn salvation maintain salvation i'm talking about the penitent heart the penitent heart that i see and understand and i and i make no excuses for my sin i make no excuses for my mistakes i make no excuses for my consistent continuous failure I acknowledge it openly, truthfully to the Lord. Understanding like, like Peter in the boat after the storm and Peter cries out to Christ says, says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He saw and understood who Christ was and he saw his faithlessness, his weakness of faith. He saw his failure and he saw the Lord and he, he, he felt hopeless. He felt that weakness. And he cries out, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve this. And what the Lord turns and in grace says, come, I'll make you fishers of men. That the walk in Christ is not my strength. Drawing closer to the Lord is not my effort. That my act of prayer and fasting is not that which makes me closer. What you are doing is you're fighting yourself. And the Lord is magnified. The Lord is glorified. The Lord is honored. Because I'm desiring to fight the flesh and glorify Christ. And he blesses this. Because the desire, the cry of the heart is, Lord, hold me while you're fighting the flesh. Lord, help me while you're fighting the flesh. Lord, deliver me from this as you fight the flesh. And the Lord gives you strength to overcome. He gives you strength. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. The seeking of being delivered from yourself. Delivered from your flesh. Because your flesh is desperately wicked. The heart of flesh is desperately wicked. And you want to put it down. Because your flesh fights you on everything and you're tired of it. You're done with that. I don't want that anymore. I don't want my flesh to have a say anymore. Lord, I'm done. Death to self. 
I die daily. Dying to self. This is what it's about. Dying to self. Dying to self. Dying to the lusts of the world, the ways of the world, the lusts of the flesh, the pride of life. Dying to self. That's what prayer and fasting is. Dying to self. It is the act of. It, we talk about dying to self and what it is. Prayer and fasting is now the application of that. Because if you truly want to understand the depth of dying to self, try going a day praying and fasting. Your flesh will throw an absolute fit like you've never seen. Not just your flesh, but the enemy will come in with a bucket of gasoline to throw on that fire to enhance the powers of the flesh, to fight you that much more, and it'll be a fight like you've never experienced. Your flesh will war against you. The sin of the flesh pouring up in your mind and all the self-degradation and the doubts and the fears and the faithlessness and the fearfulness and then everything else around you will get stirred up. It's weird how everything just goes absolutely berserk around you. People and the kids, the cars, the cows, everything just seems to go off the rails because that is uh, the enemy and your flesh trying to hinder, kill your joy, stop what you're doing because they know that if you that if you put into practice this principle as the Lord teaches that we're going to be looking into, you'll be able to fight back. And you'll be able to fight back powerfully. And that you will be able to actually tear down the high things that are in your life that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Because it strengthens your armor, it sharpens your sword, it, it hardens your shield, and it actually gives you strength to, and, uh, to the sinew of your legs to stand in the Lord, to ground yourself in faith, and you're actually able to competently fight back. That when you pray, things happen. That your faith seems to come alive. That it ceases to just be physical observances, but now it seems to be a true living faith. And this is what the devils don't want. Because now you're making yourself a threat. Because the power of God is now able to be seen that much more clearly in your life than ever before. You used to talk about it. You used to be able to affect little bits, but now it's, it's different. Now when you come into the room, there's the power of God as, as it hasn't been seen before. Not by your power. Not by my power. We have no power. We are incompetent. But we have learned. We have learned something. That we have discovered a secret. A principle that the Lord has handed down. That is able to strengthen my faith in him. Of more trust. More faith. That even now when I speak. The power of God is seen. And the power of God is at work. Where Jesus even talks about some devils. We're going to look at this passage. How some devils do not come out but by prayer and fasting. And now it seems that even old addictions seem to be broken. Revivals are sparking off. People are getting saved. These things are seen. These things are seen. It has been put to the test and it's been written about, spoken about, down through the years by mighty men and women who, when they die to self, they find the secret of true faith, death to self, the power of the Lord, how the Lord works. 
This is how the Lord works. It's what the Lord has taught us. So, radical Christianity is always spoken against, is always fought against. People love a more easy status quo. A life of true surrender is not easy and is not for the faint of heart. Bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards. And those who refuse to actually take up that which they believe and actually live it. And they will fight against those who do seek the face of God because it scares them and makes them feel bad and feel guilty. So they'll want you to stop. The lukewarm will always war against the radical, will always seek to kill the faith, to kill the joy of the radical. Radical Christianity is a warring, a warring back. As our flesh wars against our spirit, we war back. The weapons of our warfare, though, are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Mighty through God, not mighty through me. Not because of my act of prayer, my actions of fasting, my actions of applying the faith. Not because of me, but because of him. We, we must never take ownership. We must never take the glory. We must never put ourselves in the spotlight, in the limelight. It is never about us. It's always about him. It's not my deeds. It's his. It's not my strength. It's his. It's not my power. It's his. I just desire to see more of his in me i desire to for him to use me that much more i desire that my testimony my impact my uh, the how i might how i may inspire others to be increased so that they would seek him more and has nothing to do with me it's not about me it's a form of radicalization of born-again christian faith the, the, the lukewarm, the cults, the other religions, they see radicalization as radicalization of physicality. But for the born-again Christian, radicalization is radicalization of spirit. Not, and it's not focusing on fruits of flesh, fruits of physical, but fruits of spirit. I desire the fruits of the Spirit to be more evident in me. So it's a heart cry. It's a heart cry. As you see in Psalms 19 verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The meditation of my heart. Prayer, fasting, meditation in the things of the Lord in the truths of God in the promises and the doctrines and the righteousness of Christ that I desire to speak more of him to show more of him to meditate more on him that I desire that my life, as it says here in Psalms 19:14, would be would be acceptable. I, I seek the pleasing of God, not the pleasing of men. I couldn't care less what men think of me. I care what the Lord thinks of me. Death of self, dying to self, that, I, uh, that the flesh doesn't get a say, the flesh does not get to be appeased, does not get to be satiated. 
I desire the Lord's appreciation. That when he looks upon me, that he be more pleased. He is pleased because he sees his son in me. But now I, what I want is that my deeds now, the actual words of my mouth, my actual actions to be pleasing. That, that the walk of spirit would be seen in, in the walk of flesh. That the sinful flesh gets pressed down. And now that I, now I'm making the flesh carry out the deeds of spirit. So, if you listen to the scriptures, and you listen to these things, you listen to the teachings of the Lord, the call of repentance, the call of love, the call of fellowship, the call of closeness to Christ, to be like, like, uh, like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, not like Martha clanging the pots, but sitting at the feet of Jesus. We hear about this, we read about this, we understand this, we get this, we know this. But if we don't put it into practice, we have to, we have to ask and, and answer the difficult question, the painful question. If you're not putting it into actual practice, sincerely, fervently, do you actually believe the words then? You say you do, but if you don't actually put them into practice, do you really? We say we love the Lord. Do you really? How do you show it? We talked about that yesterday. How do you show it? How do you prove it? You say you love God. You say you love the word of God. How do you prove it? If you listen to the scriptures but never practice what they teach, then you're deceiving yourself that you actually believe them. So our warfare then, as we're talking about, our warfare is warfare with ourself. Not warring for our salvation. That is never, ever, ever on the table as an option. Your salvation is in Christ alone, by grace through faith, by belief alone, and your salvation is never, ever, ever up for debate. It is never up, uh, b- up based on your deeds, your fruit, your, all this. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? Once saved, always saved is what the word of God teaches. And if you don't like that, then you're a works-based salvationist and you don't understand the gospel. You need to go back to square one and examine the gospel. Our warfare is with evil. First and foremost, within ourselves. We are evil, wicked sinners saved by grace. Your flesh is still a child of the devil. Consider that. Our soul spirit is born again, saved, held in the hand of the Father, and our flesh wars with our spirit. So therefore, we war back. We war back. We're not, see, see, the problem is, is most Christians look at it as, well, the, our flesh is warring with us. We must fight back. No. See, that's the first point. In realization is the weakness of so many Christians in their combating the flesh is they are underestimating the power of the flesh and, and they're, br- they're bringing cork guns to the battlefield. You, you, you think that, like we talked about yesterday, for example, you think that, you know, the little bit of time you spend, in, uh, spend on Sunday or prayer meeting is sufficient to combat the flesh, the world, and all the warrings of the enemy all the rest of the week. Really? It's, it, that, that, that makes no sense. 
but rather what we want is we want to understand the true scope of the battlefield what it is that we're up against how powerful our flesh truly is and how powerful the world and the enemy really is in, in their influence and in their battling back against you we war the weapons of our warfare the weapons of our warfare are mighty through god now let's just let's just examine yourself in this put yourself up on the stage in the limelight here and uh, and no pull no punches uh, you don't need to comment or anything like this just just between you and god and your own mind examine yourself put yourself right before the lord here 100 percent honest brutally honest Are the weapons of God mighty through you? Are the, are, are the powers of God, the weapons of God, mighty through you? Or are you hindering the process? This is examination question one of prayer and fasting self-examination we must come to the realization of who we are and what we're doing in our hindrances of the lord's work we are more hindrances than we are helps if you say if you say that you are mighty, that God is mighty in, through your life, you're delusional. Because you're looking at yourself and now you're full of pride. You're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're deluding yourself. Pride and arrogance is a terrible, terrible, wicked deceiver. Pride and arrogance uh, of exalting oneself. Oh yeah, I, my life is powerful and mighty in God. Really? You're, you're, you're a prideful, arrogant, deluded fool. You need to repent of that. You need to fall before the Lord because, because we are not mighty. He's the only one that's mighty. He's the only one that's mighty. And you must come to that understanding that I am more of a hindrance. And what I want to do is I want to try... To, to fill the cracks in the dam to try to staunch the flow of water that is putting out the fire. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to battle the breaking dam. I'm trying to stop the, the dam from breaking. So, because the water that's busting through is going to flood everything and ruin everything. So what I want to do is I want to realize the scope of my inability, the scope of my weakness, and the scope of the power of God, that it's all about him and I must die. The flesh must die. That, I, that I'm more of a breaking dam, spewing water and flood, flooding the fields, the fields that are ripe and ready for harvest, and I'm flooding the fields. 
by my inability, by my apathy, by my disregard, by my ignorance, and by, by the powers of my flesh, by the obsessions of the world, the obsessions of flesh, and the obsessions of sin. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? As Spurgeon says, our warfare is with evil within us and around us. And we ought to be persuaded that we are able to get the victory and that we shall do so in the name of the Lord Jesus. The victory is possible, but it's not until we die to self. So let's examine this. How do we die to self? Well, as Oswald Chambers says, for example, it is impossible to carry on your life as a disciple without uh, definite times of secret prayer. Now, why are we praying? What are we praying for? Because, well, that's what Christians are supposed to do. Then you don't understand prayer. You don't get it. Right? It's not about mandatory religious observances like a Catholic or an Orthodox monk. But rather, as we see, it's about a desire to be in an intimate, real, lively relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is real. He's a real person. He's a person with emotions and character and attributes and personality. And, and he it, it wants to be involved in my life. He wants to hear from me. I want to hear from him. I want to talk with him. He wants to talk with me. And I want to fellowship with him. He wants to fellowship with me in all things. That in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. That in a cup of water, in a cup of coffee, I want to have I want to have the cup of coffee with Jesus. What 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 would you give to actually sit down at a table with Jesus? He's like right there in the flesh. There he is, right there, and you're having a cup of tea, cup of coffee with Jesus. What would you give? To actually have that. To actually have that. To actually experience that. To actually do that. What would? What, how far would you go? What would you give to be able to have that moment? A moment of close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Sitting at the table, having a cup of coffee, cup of tea with him. Talk with him. Just to be with him. You'd love that, wouldn't you? You'd love to have that. To be able to do that. But here's the thing. You can. Not in an actual physical sense, but in a knowing, a sensing, an understanding. He is there. He does speak to me. He does hear me. He does care. That closeness is felt. It's understood. The flesh, it's like it's... it's put off in the other room and you have a that that moment of just you could take a deep breath just for a moment where the flesh is 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 not a power anymore it seems and you're that much closer that feeling that sense of being that much closer like think about abraham sitting with god in the tent then talking with god afterwards moses talking with the lord Elijah talking with the Lord, Samuel talking with the Lord, the disciples talking with the Lord. When has this changed? Only the cessationist says that that's impossible. Only the faithless 
and the fearful and the unbelieving say that that's not possible. Nowhere in the word of God does it say that God does not fellowship with us in that way anymore. Nowhere. And you're deluding yourself if you think it does. If you think that 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 this doesn't happen, that that you can't come to that place. The cessationist is a faithless, faithless individual. But as we see, it does hinge though on a desire. It does hinge though on the penitent heart as we will look into as psalms 66 verse 18 if i regard iniquity in my heart the lord will not hear me as jesus says about uh, when he's uh, teaching his disciples how to pray and he's talking about uh, forgiveness he says if you forgive not men their trespasses neither will your heavenly father forgive you yours and as we see it is hinged upon the penitent heart the graceful, the meek, and the loving, Christ-like heart. As we see, for example, in James 1, 6-7, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So, this generation has forgotten. It seems that this generation of the church for many, I'm not going to be a broad sweeping, you know, like everybody, but for most, for many Christians, it seems in this day and age that the church, this era of the church age has forgotten closeness with God. I've talked about prayer, for example, and when you look at some of the mighty men and women of God, a time past, the amount of time that they would give into fellowship with the Lord on a daily basis uh, you it's like pulling teeth to try to find that it's like pulling teeth to try to get others to desire to want that for example when was the last time you ever actually heard a sermon Bible teaching on depth of prayer and fasting when was the last time you actually gathered together with saints and prayed with no concept of time limit. Even praying through the night, praying for a few hours for revival of people's souls, for the encouragement of the saints, for the building of the church and all this. When was the last time you actually prayed more than just a few minutes? This generation has forgotten this. And what, and what we desire to do here is we want to kind of bring this back. We bring this back of an exploring what it means to pray without ceasing. Well, God knows my heart and I'm in continual, you know, communication with him. What about that intimate communication like the disciples did, like the prophets had, like the apostles had, like the early church had? What, why don't we do this anymore? Well, God just knows my heart, and and, and I and I've talked to Him throughout the day. Well, like just a like a buddy, 
and God is just your buddy. And so you just have this chit chat back and forth buddy system with God. Is that, is that where, where is the deep reverential love? Like you see, you see the mighty men and women of old where they give, give themselves to deep reverential worship and prayer and they would seek the depth of prayer to bring forth revival and to bring about the, the power of God in this world. Instead of the buddy, buddy God, what about the almighty sovereign Lord God? His power and his kingdom being seen, felt and heard and known. This generation has forgotten. The gospel saves us from the condemnation of our sin. And that our sin no longer condemns us. We are saved from the condemnation. We're saved from the wrath. But our sin is still here. Our sin is still there. If you think that you're sinless, you're a liar and you do not know the truth. 1 John 1. You can't attain sinlessness. You can attain freedom from the condemnation by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. But our sin is still here, and our sin will fight back because no longer can the devils have your soul, but they're going to have your faith. They're going to seek to rob, steal, kill, destroy your faith, your joy in the Lord, your walk with Christ, your, your, your effectiveness for God. And this is what we fight back. The gospel does not clean up and shine up the outside of a person. Rather, bores into the heart and the soul of the person, radically changes that person from the inside forever. And what we desire is that inward salvation that is of the heart of the soul, we desire to reveal that. That radical change, that radicalization, that radical change of heart, of soul, of spirit, I want to see that outwardly. The power of God to save seen outwardly. That this saving power, this saving change, this radicalization of God to affect those around me. That's what I'm seeking to do. So, a lot of people, they just don't quite get this. They think it's by my power me my i like the charismatic movement teaching people the power of quoting the i am phrases that 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 uh, that i'm like a mini god i'm a mini jesus and i have power and i can speak things into existence and i command and i control i bind i loose no no we need to come back to what God says in his word. That I'm not the authority. I have no power. And until you can come to grips with that, you're never ever going to understand what prayer and fasting is according to God. Many other religions and belief systems and movements will teach it and some other means, some other powers, some other abilities, but they know not the faith. They don't understand They're completely deluded and blind to the truth. It's about death to self. It's about death to self. 
Just as other religions think that their salvation is hinged upon their, their own works, they think that the power of prayer is hinged upon their, their own ability to pray. The amount of words, the vain repetitions, they think they should be heard for their much speaking. They're, they're, or as they think themselves a God that they could save themselves, they think that they can manifest the reality of their prayers. Like the charismatic, like Kenneth Copeland types. But it's not. Take your Bible. Take a Bible and take a look here at Second Chronicles. Go back in the Old Testament. First Kings, Second Kings, versus Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, and we want chapter seven. Second Chronicles chapter seven. Verse 14. Now now look at the words here very clearly. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people, so yes, I know the interpretation, the direct interpretation God is talking to Israel, but we do see an application that does still apply as we are the saved of God, children of God. If my people, which are called by my name, were called by the name of Christ, amen, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, humility, Christ-like humility shall humble themselves. So it's death to pride. Explore each of these just for a moment. Shall humble themselves. What does that look like? Where does that come from? It's not humility of flesh, humility of works, humility in actions and fruit. It's humility of heart, of actual, it's an actual desired placement of self that i see who and what i am in him that he is my all in all i am nothing i truly see that i get that it's sincere it's sincere shall humble themselves and pray that's a desired discourse with the lord that i i desire to speak with him and him with me i want to have that interaction I desire that interaction and pray and seek my face. Why would he put that in there? Because many pray in, all, in an almost in an almost deist manner. That God is way up there, but you can't really get to know him on a personal, intimate level. But so you pray more out of an observance. No, 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 no. When I pray, I'm speaking directly to him and I don't have to yell and shout and scream and put on his big dance and show to try to get his attention like some pagan. But I, I just speak. I can even speak softly, quietly because he's right here. He's right here. He's in the heart of every believer and he hears me. He knows me. And, and I seek him to be one-on-one -on -one. i want to have that closeness with him when i speak to him when i call upon him he's right here he turns his face he bends his ear and he says yes my child i just seek his closeness i seek that intimates intimacy i pray and seek his face and also one other and turn from their wicked ways can a christian be wicked yes all sin is wicked can a Christian sin? Yes. Yes. Turn from their wicked ways. 
So we see repentance. Not repentance to earn, maintain, or keep your salvation. Not repentance uh, to, to, to maintain favor of God. But it's rather just, just a, I, I know what I've done. Lord, I'm sorry I was stupid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I dishonored you in that. Lord, I'm sorry that, that I shamed you. I grieved you with what I did. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He will never cast us away. He will never disown us. He'll, he'll never forget us. He'll never forsake us. He is with us always, even to the end of the world. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. He is our advocate. He fights for us. He holds us. And he is faithful even when we are not. But I still... I still feel the, the shame of my sin. I still feel that grieving. And I acknowledge this. I don't I try to hide it. I don't, I don't excuse it. I don't make excuses for it. I don't try to work around it. I don't try to find the loopholes. I, I don't just, you know, I don't just brush it under the carpet. I bring it out to the forefront and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I sinned. I, I struggled with this. You're honest. You be honest. I struggle with this. And Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me. Please forgive me for this. Lord, would you please give me the victory of this? The Lord, it would not take advantage of me again. Sincerity. Humble sincerity and honesty is what we see here. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... This is, it's just simply stated as a sincere humility and honesty and sincerity before God. That if you come to the Lord in this manner of honest sincerity, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. People say, well, that, that, that's, that, that's just Old Testament. That, that, that doesn't apply to us. We're different. That it's not like that for us today. Really? So we don't have to be humble. Well, 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 we don't have to pray. We don't have to seek his face. Well, have to in what manner? It's more of a want to than a have to. We have to understand that. But we don't need to seek his face. We don't need to turn from our wicked ways. Well, I'm not wicked. You, you just lied. You just lied. If any man say he's not sin, he's a liar. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. New Testament. I want to show you something. Mark chapter 11. And verse 22. Mark eleven twenty-two. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Okay, well, first we got to explore. Okay, what, what is faith? Faith is not works. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is believing trust. A sincere, humble, honest belief in the truth of the Lord. Faith is believing trust. As it says in Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if I take the, the character 
of Second Chronicles 7.14, place it upon myself, and I desire to truly, honestly seek this. And I come before the Lord, and I believe what he says. There's believing faith. The same faith you have in the Son of God for your salvation is the same faith you have in the rest of the story. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Okay, just hold up a moment. Shall not doubt in his heart. There's a there's the big issue right there. The big glaring issue right there. Shall not doubt in his heart. Okay, put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. But shall believe that those things you say shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, ye shall have them. Okay. Shall not doubt in your heart. That's James 1, 6-7. Wavering like a wave of the sea, dream of the wind untossed. That's doubting in faith. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. But, if I take, again, the humility, the prayer, seeking his face, the penitent heart, the sincere, honest, zealous, fervent belief in him, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, honestly, sincerely, you believe it, you see it, you get it, you know that it's true, it goes beyond knowing that he's real and it's true, and I love him and I long to be with him, I long for him to be with me in all things, What's that going to look like? So the question that comes up, though, people say, but I see that, I get that, I know that, I believe that, but I can't stop the doubts. Just a minute. Let me just help you out. Let me help you out. These doubts that you have. Let's ask you just a quick question. If you could answer the, this question in the comments... You'll, you'll, you'll get the answer almost immediately when I ask the question. These doubts that you have, are they the doubts of your soul? Are they the doubts of your soul? Or are they the doubts of your flesh, your sinful flesh? Do you doubt the cross? No. Do you doubt Jesus Christ? No. Do you doubt that he is able to save you? No. Do you doubt the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the name of Christ? Well, no. Who is it? What was answering that? Spirit or flesh? So you see, your doubts then, the doubts that do arise, are of the flesh. You can almost hear. You can almost hear the, the two voices of the two persons, the two entities in your being. Almost like the old portrayal of the angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other shoulder, except it's not an angel and a devil. It's your, your soul, your saved soul and spirit, and your unsaved wicked flesh. 
The wicked flesh says, no, it's not possible. No, I don't see how that's possible. No, that can't happen. Well, that's not real. Well, I don't know if that'll happen. Well, I don't know if he'll hear you. You were pretty bad. You did this and God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you anymore. Uh, you may not even be saved. Or oh, you can uh, uh, pray, pray and pray and it may never happen. I don't, it may take forever. That's your flesh talking. Your, your saved spirit doesn't doubt the promises of God. Your saved spirit doesn't doubt the reality of the power of the Lord. Your saved spirit do doesn't doubt the truth of God. Your flesh does. Your flesh isn't saved. Your flesh is an unsaved, evil, wicked, desperately wicked monster that fights and wars against everything that you try to do for the Lord. It wars against everything that God says to you. God says, trust in me and I will bring it to pass. The flesh says, yea, hath God truly said. God says, I'll never leave you for, for, or forsake you. Well, I don't know about that. You're pretty bad. You remember when you did this stupid thing? Uh, and maybe that's why you, you, you're having so many problems. Or maybe you're not saved because you can't seem to overcome these temptations. That's your flesh. That's your flesh. I have learned, as Paul says, I have learned that it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am, but I have learned that it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Your flesh doesn't believe the truths of God. Your flesh hears this, whatsoever... Uh, that whatsoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. That the heart doesn't doubt. Doubt of heart is actual unbelief. This actual unbelief of spirit. That you actually struggle to come to grips with actually believing that this is true. But when you do see this, you do get, and you do believe that it's true, absolutely true, beyond shadow of a doubt, it is actually realistically possible with God. You believe that, that's belief of heart. See, the Lord's not talking about belief of mind, He's talking about belief of heart. The mind is always full, because with the mind, I serve the law of sin. The mind of flesh. And then there's the mind of spirit. The mind of flesh, and then there's the mind of spirit, as Paul talks about in Romans. The mind of flesh, uh, the, the fleshly intellectualism, the fleshly understandings, which uh, uh, is corrupted by sin. Then there's the mind of spirit, which is the mind of Christ. There's in the heart of every believer. Let's go to John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me, if ye abide in me, 
and my words abide in you shall not doubt in your heart. So if ye abide in me, to abide and to live in, I want to live in the power of God. I want, I want a life, not just weekend warrior, not just in the open church doors, not just at the Bible studies, but in everything, in every tick of the clock, 24, 7, 365, I want to live in the state of Christ-likeness. In the state of closeness with the Lord. If ye abide in me. But you see, a lot of Christians just shorten it there. Say, oh yeah, I desire to live in the Lord and all this. But then look at the depth of the knowledge. The depth of the study. The depth of the love of the word of God. Because the Lord also then goes on to say, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. The words of the Lord override and write over your words your thinking your logic your reasoning your intellect your enlightenment is all overwritten by the word of god that the scriptures become your reality the supernatural the spiritual the godly, the, the godly reality becomes your reality. Seek my face. Seek my face, not your face. Seek my face, not theirs. Seek my face, my reality, not theirs. The reality of the Lord, not the reality of the world. Not the laws of physics, the law of God. Because by the power of God, as uh, all down through, take a look at, at what happens. That those walking in the truth and the power of God look at the kind of things that occur that the lord lives in reigns in rules through speaks through works through in all these different ways through power through truth through the scriptures you can't say you cannot say that you're abiding in christ if his word is not abiding in you as we took a take a look at this um, if you listen to the scriptures, but never practice what they teach, then you're deceiving yourself that you actually believe them. You say you love the Lord. You may even read the scriptures, but do you practice? Do you put it into practice? Do you put it into practice? That, that I don't just want to read the scriptures, I want to live them. I want to live the very fabric of the reality that the scriptures speak of. That this is my, the way I think. This is the way I reason. This is this what is what defines my logic. It, that that fasting is not just not eating. It's the death of the flesh. It's the submission of the flesh. It's the subduing of the flesh so I can work closer with God. It's not about the not eating. It's about the magnifying Christ. It's, it's about making the reality of the supernatural of God my true reality. I want to see more of that in me. That's what it's about. 
And because my flesh gets in the way, makes me doubt, it hinders me, it keeps throwing cogs in the wheels, it, it keeps interfering, it keeps hindering, I need to subdue it. So it gets out of the way, so I can have more of a free mind, free faith, free prayer in the Lord. You get it? You see that? Please tell me you see that. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and shall be done unto you. That our will becomes his will. That his will is our will. That I desire what he desires. That his desires are seen through me. That it's no longer about my desires. It's not about my will. It's not about my life. It's not about my, my uh, hungry stomach. It's not about my bank account. It's not about me. It's about him. That if need be, I can wander through the wilderness and he'll feed, He'll send the ravens to feed me with bread in their beaks like he did for Elijah. He can bring manna from the sky, water from the rock. I don't, I don't fear about anything. I don't care about anything because he is with me. He provides all things. He'll teach me and guide me. And even if I die, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I couldn't care less about my flesh. Couldn't care less. Couldn't care less if it gets fed. I couldn't care less if it uh, what uh, happens to it. I couldn't care less if it even gets clothed. John Baptist had camel skin. Solomon had robes. So did David. Abraham had much. Many of the disciples are destitute. They had nothing. But it doesn't matter. Though the riches of Solomon or the widow of the two mites, the Lord provides. If ye abide in me to live in, not, not, not weekend visits. You see, that's the problem with many Christians, is they view the faith as, a, as just the odd visit. Like how you, you, know, you, you used to go for visits to visit your relatives. You used to go visit your, your friends. You're not visiting God. You're literally living with him, shackled to him. I am bound in him. I'm grafted into his hand. I want more than just weekend visits. I want more than just, uh, just the Sundays. I want all day, every day, I desire, want to be bound to him. That, that I go nowhere without him. He goes nowhere without me. That's what I want. Fasting and prayer brings us to that realization. It gives us that strength of understanding. It, it, it helps us to fight against the flesh. So that I can see, hear, feel this. The possibilities. The closeness. And it, it is what gives us that glimpse into that glory because the flesh is being pushed out of the way because the flesh keeps reaching its hands around to blind our eyes so we can't see the fullness of faith. If ye abide in me and my words, my words, for the flesh profiteth nothing, but my words, they are spirit, they are life, and my words abide in you. That my words become your words. That what I say is you make it, you desire to be your law and authority. That what I do becomes your reality. 
This is what the Lord has promised. This is what the Lord has promised. Let's go back to Matthew. As we see, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. You see, your flesh wants to be your master. And for many Christians, it is. Many Christians, they are slaves. Slaves to their flesh. Slaves to the fleshly thinking. Slaves to the fleshly fears and doubts. That when they hear these kinds of things about the powers and the miracles and the wonders of the Lord and that it's possible for today, they're like, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know about that. And they're full of doubt, full of doubt, full of skepticism, full of fear, full of faithlessness. Their flesh is their master. The worldly thinking, the mind of flesh is their master. But I, I desire to die to that. I die to that master. And when I, when a slave dies to the, uh, and uh, the, their master no longer has power and authority of them, for they are dead. They're, they are free from that master. I die to self. I die to self. My flesh loses authority. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The lusts of the flesh, money and power and fame and fortune of life. You can't serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Wait a minute. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Back up, back up. Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat. Why was that the first thing? Just out of curiosity. Why, why did Christ mention eating food as the, the first thing in the list? Because it, that eating food is the number one top primary focus drive of natural instinct the most powerfully powerful controlling aspect of our lives eating well if you don't eat you die starvation makes a lot of people do crazy things eating the most, the most basic need of life. Take no thought what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Wait a minute. Is not the life 
life more than meat, more important than meat and clothes and food and drink. Life. For the life that I live, I now live by the power of the Son of God. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I don't care about food. I don't care about drink. I don't care about clothes. I don't care about money. I don't care about anything. I don't care about anything but the power of the Lord, the truth of the Lord. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, for, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, the birds, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Do you have any power over your life? Really? No. Why are you worried about it? Why are you trying to gain power over your life? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, there it is again, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what we shall drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, language describing the unsaved. You the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. God knows what you need of. Just trust that he'll provide. You're not God. You can't create. You can't bring into existence. You can't affect anything. You, you're, you're hopeless. You're like the birds. God looks after you. Therefore take no thought, saying, what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather, what should be our focus? What should be our drive? What should be the, for, the uh, forefront and front and center of our lives, always in all things, that which is ever before our eyes? What, what is it? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. What things? What's everything you have need of? And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought. There it is again. Take therefore no. Th oh. And we're back. And we're back. Okay, we're having some technical issues. Let's try to keep going here. Um, can anyone tell me where uh, where did it end off? What was the last thing I was talking about? Stupid program is always doing this kind of stuff on me. Well, let's back up. As we're going through Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 6, talking about the, the things that we should focus on. The things that we should focus on. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That we're not to seek the things of, uh, uh, of, 
of flesh. So you see, take no thought. Exactly. Take no thought for the morrow. Take no thought for the things of the flesh. Take no thought of food and drink and clothing. The basics. The basics of life. Fasting and prayer helps us to understand how this is wasting time, wasting focus. These are time wasters. It's not important. It's not a big deal. The Lord will look after you. Fasting and prayer helps us to, or to overcome the obsessions of the flesh. As the flesh obsesses on these things. The flesh obsesses on the basics. That which is hard-coded into our blood. The, the, the uh, eating, drinking, clothing, reproduction. All these things that the flesh it, it brings these things down as obsessions. Some people, they just seem to, that they can't get over the temptation and the struggle of the constant thinking of these things. Prayer and fasting helps you to overcome. Some people have real, real problems with the, the thoughts of their mind, the way they think, the way they reason, the way they look at things. Prayer and fasting and taking the faith seriously will subdue that, help you overcome that. It helps you in your fight back against. As we even see in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Go to Matthew 17. And we take a look at verse 18. Matthew 17 verse 18. Matthew 17 verse 18. And Jesus, uh, we see here he was... Uh, uh, coming down the mountain with his disciples and he was met by a man he, sa he says would you please help my son he's he's uh, has a devil lord have mercy on my son verse 15 for he is lunatic and sore vexed for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water and i and i brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him then jesus answered and said oh faithless and perverse generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i suffer you bring him hither to me and Jesus rebuked the devil, and, depart, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart, they went apart privately, and the disciples asked Jesus, Why could not we cast him out? Why couldn't they cast him out? Think about it for a moment. How come the disciples were incapable of casting out the devil? Well, first off, we don't cast out devils. We have no power over the devils. We're not God. Devils don't care about you. The devils do not obey your authority. Look what Jesus says. Because they say, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. What? They, they, they didn't believe in themselves? Believe in the, yourself. Believe in your heart. and Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. And you have enough belief in yourself, you can do it? No. Belief in who? What? The faith in Christ. 
because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not up of my prayer and fasting regarding the devils. But as you see, not doubting in your heart, but shall believe that those things you say shall come to pass. Believe in what? What is the power that removes it? Jesus says, in my name cast out devils. Belief in the name of Jesus Christ. It's belief in the name of Jesus Christ. Not belief in themselves. Not belief in that, that I'm keeping myself close to the Lord. That if I'm pleasing him enough that I'll be able to. No. For, for God is able even of these stones to raise up children to him. It's not, it's not about us in and of ourselves. God can use anything. It's about him, his power. That he is able to deliver. He is able to save. He is able to keep. He is able to hold. He is able to heal. Not me. See, the, the disciples got misfocused. They got misfocused. And when unbelief does seem to creep in, and it does how do we fight back how do we fight back what did jesus say verse 21 look at verse 21 matthew 17 21 Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting why because it's a special magic ritual that went that if i go through the special ritual if I do the praying and I maintain a fast and I maintain this ritual, I'll be able to gain power over the devils. No, that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. That's not what that means. The praying and the fasting does not cast out the devil. The praying and the fasting does not cast out the devil. The praying and the fasting shuts my flesh's doubts down and shuts it up so it stops influencing me, so it stops deceiving me, so it stops dragging me into unbelief, so my spirit can reign in belief of the Lord and I can stand in the power and the belief of the Lord and in the name of the Lord I can stand in full faith and speak the name of the Lord in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to command you to be silent and get out and it does. Fasting and prayer combats unbelief. Fasting and prayer combats faithlessness. Fasting and prayer, praying and fasting, combats the lies and the deceivings and the delusions of the flesh. Victory is only found in Christ. And I seek the victory of Christ in everything that I do. This is what it's about. It's about radicalization of faith and belief. It's about radicalization of faith and belief. How do I achieve that? By death to self. By dying to self. By refusing to appease the lukewarm. By refusing to walk with the lukewarm in lukewarmness. That I desire 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I want to walk in the fire with the Son of God and the power of God. He covers me in His power and He holds me that nothing is impossible because it's all about Him. In Him, all is possible. With me, it's impossible. With men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's about His faith. It's, it's about belief in Him. It's about the power of Him. It's not about me. You see, the moment I make it about me, I've completely missed it. And I'm in, I'm in absolute error. And the Lord will not bless that. The Lord will not work with that. God never taught us to pray that way. That it's about me, my, I. I cast you out. No, you can't. No, you don't. The moment you think you cast out the devil, the devil is laughing at you. Laughing in your face. I had that once, actually years ago I made that mistake I made that terrible mistake there is an actual demonic manifestation I was uh, hindering and opposing and causing all kinds of problems and I tried to rebuke it cast it out But I did just that, what I was talking about not to do. I. It laughed at me. It laughed at me. That scared me. I, I actually was quite scared. And I, I just started praying. That's when the realization came upon. And I was shaking, but I turned back. I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be silent and get out. Gone. Devils do not care about you. We take a look at the one passage where the sons of Sceva, they were exorcists and they were trying to cast the devil out of out of a man. And the and the, the in him uh, that was possessed by the devil spoke to the sons of Sceva and, and said, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, but who are you? And proceeded to leap on them and beat them up and, and horribly mistreat them. And but you take a look at what the devil said. Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? Now wait a minute. Paul isn't God. Paul is not Jesus. Paul is not a deity. Paul is just a man. Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus, a wicked sinner who got born again saved. And now as a, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a called an apostle to preach the gospel and, and preach the word of God. That's all he is. Paul has no power over the devils. Why did the devil say, Paul, I know? You tell me in the comments. Why did Paul say, uh, so why did the devil say, Paul, I know? Why did the devil say, Paul, I know? Think about that. 
Baal isn't special. He's not a god. He has no power. He's just a man. A man who struggled with sin, Romans 7. Because, well, if you take a look at the time and what was going on, what was going on, what Paul was doing, Paul was preaching the gospel. Paul was full of faith. Paul was full of faith. He believed without question. He believed without question what the Lord says. When he would speak, he would speak of the Lord and not of his own. He understood that his sin, he understood his weakness. He was humble. He sought the face of God. And he was in constant prayer, constant fellowship, and in constant repentance and penitence before the Lord and humility and reminding himself who he is and who the Lord is. And the Lord honored this and the Lord worked with him, confirming the word with signs following to such a degree that everywhere Paul went, that even the devils were, were aware of who he was and they feared who Paul would bring. They feared him whom Paul preached. Because Paul didn't waver in belief. He understood, he knew, he believed. Then he would speak, the devils would run because he's speaking the power of God. Do the devils know you as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do they know you like they knew Paul? You see, this is the desire. This is the fervent desire. The desire of the heart uh, is that not not to make myself some special one, but, but what I want is the power of God in the degree that it was seen in the Apostle Paul. I desire to see that in my life so that I can work like Paul and bringing people to the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to honor the Lord, to preach the gospel, to send revivals. I want to see that. I want the world to see that again, that there is a God that is true and his name is Jesus Christ. That the devils today, they would see the same power that was in the Apostle Paul would be seen in me again. That not to make me anything, but to make him, Jesus Christ, everything. I desire that. Taking the faith seriously in prayer and fasting, devoting myself to the Lord, subduing the flesh of the affections and lusts uh, to to uh, to walk in humbleness and humility before god seeking his face in all things would make this possible that it would happen that it would happen do you believe it can happen let's take a look you see jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Let's take a look now at prayer and fasting. Now that we've built up the approach, the understanding of what it is, what it is not, what it's for, what it's not for, now we can take a look at fasting itself. So Matthew chapter 6, go to verse 16. Matthew chapter 6, go to verse 16. Jesus says, moreover, when you fast. So the first bit here, the 
it's not a commandment. As one preacher put it, God does not command us to fast. It's not a law. God doesn't command us to fast, but he commends it. A strong suggestion. A strong instruction. It's not a commandment. He doesn't command it. He commends it. The showing how important it is, how serious it is. He really builds it up that this is a focus. Guys, look at the language. Jesus says, when you fast. So should this then be something that we take seriously? Should be. But he gives us instruction how to go about it. When you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. All they're looking for is the, is the applause of men, the praise of men, uh, that, that uh, for others to look at them and build them up as look like some holy one because they're going about, oh, I haven't eaten for a couple of days. Oh, I'm so weak. Oh, I can't do anything. You have your reward. You have your reward. But rather, but, when, but thou, when, when thou fastest, Anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But rather, just keep it to yourself. Don't talk about it. Don't go make it a big deal. Just, just go, go about your day doing whatever. Don't even think about it. Just give yourself to it. Do it. Watch the Lord work. Watch the Lord work. Now, some people have the idea that because of this, that that means that you can't even talk about it. No, 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 no. Look at, look at the context of what it's about. If you're talking about it just to, so people can think you're some holy, special, mystic type individual, that you're special, you know, like the Pharisees kind of thing, well, then, then you got a problem. Then you got a bit of a problem. But if, for example... Let's hypothetically say you put yourself, you de you determine, you know, I want to fast and pray for a while, and you go to another brother or sister in Christ and say, and you talk to them about what's going on, you and see if they would like to join you, or they could pray for it. Let's say you're going through a hard time, or you're looking uh, for an answer to prayer, or whatever else, and you're asking them to pray for you while you do this. That's fine. It's all about intent of why you're talking about it, why you're bringing it up. And as you see here, to, wa to wash your face and, and just clean yourself up and, some not, and don't make it a big deal. Don't spread it around kind of thing. Just go about your day. Go about your day. Then some people have the idea, well, well, uh, if I'm fasting and praying and, and if I, if I eat something, that means that that whole praying and fasting was null and void. No, 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 no. You see, fasting goes beyond, it is, it's more than the act of not eating. Let's talk about this. So I have some notes and things I want to talk about. <clears throat> you see, 
as we discussed, fasting and praying is about drawing closer to the Lord and drawing further away from the influences of the flesh in the world. The Word of God teaches that if we're troubled, if we're in need of serious prayer and help, you see, the Lord, the Lord says, according to thy faith, be it unto you. He says this a few times in a couple different ways. According to thy faith, be it unto you. If you have little faith, you have little answers, little power. But if you have great faith, great answers, there's great power. It's seen and evident in you. Even if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, how small is that? How small is a little grain of mustard seed? You see, so many people are like, oh, if I just had the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, and they all about the mustard seed faith, mustard seed faith. You hear a lot of people talk about this, post about this, make songs about it and everything else, and preach about the mustard seed faith. I don't want the mustard seed faith. I don't understand the obsession people have on mustard seed faith. I don't want that just a little bit. I, I want more than that. I don't want the, the mustard seed and you can move mountains. I want a faith the size of a mountain is what I want. I, I want to be free from all doubts, from all fear, from all of this, because I, I want the Lord to work through me. I want to work for the Lord in such a way like the men of old did. That's what I desire. I don't want just this little, little teeny little bit. The Word of God teaches it all depends on how much you personally believe prayer will work. Do you really believe that it works? Do you really believe that God hears you? Do you really honestly believe? You say you do, but do you? You see, this is faith. How strong is your faith in the Lord? How much time do you spend with him? You see, your faith, you could say you have great faith. You could say all, of, all the right things. But it's seen in how much time you spend with him. And like I regularly do, If you were to eat and drink as often as you spend time in prayer and studying of the Word of God, how healthy and strong would you be? Because we spend a lot of time considering and putting effort and time in care for our bodies. Regarding our food, our drink, our health, our fitness, our clothes. We, can, we spend a lot of time, a lot of time in care for our bodies. That our bodies are gorged, gor are engorged in food and care and time and, and pampering. All the while, where our souls and spirits are like concentration camp survivors. You ever seen those pictures? Those poor dudes, those poor people. They, 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 they look like skeletons with skin. They can barely stand up and they're shaky, hardly any strength. That's what many Christian souls and spirits look like. 
because we're not feeding it. We'll throw everything we have to the flesh and whatever scraps left over, if lucky, if there are any, we throw a couple scraps to the spirit. Now, here you go. Here's your, here's your crumb for the day. Five minutes in the morning, 30 minutes on Sunday. All the rest of the time is for the flesh. You see, prayer and fasting reverses that. But we take away the care, the so much of the care of the flesh, and we pour it on the spirit. I'm not saying that you stop caring for yourself. What I'm saying is you stop worrying about it. You stop fussing over and obsessing over. And rather you obsess and fuss over spirit, the walk of spirit. Praying in spirit and and praising in spirit, walking in spirit, living in spirit. The amount of time that you spend on your flesh, what about spending that time in your spirit? Fasting is not for gaining God's favor or attention. You're not vying for the attention of God. You have his attention. You have his favor because you have his son. You are a child of God and dwelt by the spirit living God. All the care and favor of God is poured upon you. Fasting and prayer is to make that evident, to make that more evident in the physical, in the, in the flesh in the world it is for our own selves for suppressing the flesh with the affections and lust thereof to strengthen our faith of spirit it starts with the time that we spend with them you see it's not a one and done thing well i fast and pray once and that'll change the rest of my life oh the, the, there will be changes because you'll, you'll uh, see what's possible but rather it's a continuous, it's a daily. It is a new change, new life. That this is how I was before, and now this is my life, my dedicated life now for the rest of my life. It's now a change of life. It's a complete altering of yourself. That I will never go back to the way I was before. Now I'm now dedicating myself to a life of prayer and fasting. Why? Because I'm, I'm done. And I want the Lord to live through me. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives through me, Paul says. I live, yet not I. That I give up authority, I give up control, I give up my life, and I no longer care about my life. I want the Lord to take over. I want the Lord to live through me. I want the Lord to speak through me. And I fast and pray to suppress my flesh so he, so he can do that that much more sense so unlike the deist christian where their outlook their idea that god is way up there and can hardly be known is god just some overlord high above you that you rarely speak to that he's there and he sees he knows but you don't really have that constant continual intimate relationship with him just, you just have this deist's type attitude towards God. 
Is God just some overlord high above you that you rarely speak to? Or is he personal and like a friend that you speak to all the time? Our relationship is to be one of great intimacy with the Lord. It's a very close relationship that we have. And ignoring the Lord grieves him. I think about, consider, for example, a marriage where the husband and wife rarely talk to each other. How well is that marriage going to fare? How, how good of a relationship do you think they have? You see, that's kind of the relationship a lot of Christians have with Christ. That they're married to Christ in salvation and faith, but they hardly talk. They might talk once in a while, a little bit here and there, but they kind of keep themselves. There's no power of love in that relationship. Proverbs 18, 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This is talking about God. So what is prayer to you? Is it just a religious observance or is it direct communion, a conversation with almighty God? That you, in all boldness, he gives us all boldness to come before the throne of grace. And we cry out, Abba, Father. And he bends his ear down to us. And he picks us up, sets us on his knee. And he speaks with us as with dear children. What is prayer to you? We see, for example, in John chapter 14. Where Jesus talks about the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Who, who will be with us and indwell us and hold us and seal us and he'll teach us all things. Causes us to be in remembrance of everything which Christ has said. He convicts us, he draws us, he teaches us, he helps us, he holds us. He's with us always. Do you hear him? Do you feel him? Do you know him? Does he speak to you? The cessationist would mock and scoff that, but they're the faithless and unbelieving, so who cares what they think? The word of God says. As we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, ask and it shall be given you. Seek. And ye shall find. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. And him that seeks finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. You say oh yeah I believe that. I know that. I know it says that. And I do believe that. But. When I pray nothing happens. Okay first off. We see in the Word of God example uh, examples here about the asking. Do you only ask once? But we see, but rather uh, like the like the the widow woman pleading the king, bothering the king, and a constant constant imploring. And the king rises up to help to help her. It's a constant knocking until the door is opened. It's a constant praying until you get an answer. It's a constant seeking until the answer is found. 
believing, believe that you will receive. Now, it doesn't say that you will receive exactly what you asked, but rather you will receive an answer. You will receive the attention of God. Because sometimes he knows better than us. Sometimes his answer is a bit different. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is something else that is better than what we asked because he knows what's best. But rather it's seeking that God will move upon the situation, that God will answer the question, that God will work the outcome. And however he chooses to do that is fine with me, just that it is what is needed is done. That's the attitude. Not that I'm controlling God and telling God what to do. No, then you've completely missed the point. We see in Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I will not cause thee to be a beggar. I'll never have to beg. God will care for me. God will look after. He will guide me. I will never wander lost in the wilderness, but he will guide me. I will never go hungry. He'll pour his manna. He will always bring the water. The jar of oil will not run out. I trust and believe this with all my heart, that he will never allow his own to be beggars. He will always make a way. He said so, and God cannot lie. People say, but, but, oh, but what about this? What about this hypothetical situation? What about this? God cannot lie. The flesh doesn't believe it. The faithless and the fearful don't believe it. That the, the these types, these faithless, unbelieving types will always, 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 always seek to want to undo the promise of God that he will always come through. Ignore them. Ignore the flesh. Ignore the fears. Ignore the faithlessness. Ignore the lies of the devils. Ignore the deceptions and the delusions of the flesh. Ignore all that. And when you're finding yourself in a state where it's hard to do that, fasting and prayer brings you closer to the Lord and subdues all of that that much more. That's what it's for. And some say, but still, I understand that, I get that still, but, but I, I pray and nothing happens. Which I always ask, so so what'd you do? Give up? Then when you don't get an answer right away, do you give up? Do you quit praying about it? Do you give up on the person? Do you say, say Lord, would you help me? Could you help me? Could you help me? Okay, fine, I'll do it. Is that what you do? Is that what your prayer life is like? That if God doesn't jump up immediately and do it right away, that you 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 clock watch God, you you give God a time limit. If God doesn't help me in X amount of time, I'm just going to go and figure it out myself. Is that how you do it? Well, then you have not faith, and you're like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You'll receive nothing of God. You're full of faithlessness, no patience, no trust, no faith. 
you're regarding iniquity in your heart and the Lord will not hear you. He will not bless that. He will not work with that. You are impatient. You're a stubborn, impatient child. And you need to learn to mature in faith. You need to learn to trust the Lord. You need to learn to sit down, be still, and know that He is God. And trust in His power, not your might. You need to stop being the God, the authority of your life. You need to stop trying to call the shots of your life. You need to surrender to the Lord. Die to self. Give up. You need to bow down before the Lord and trust His will. Stop trying to enact your own. Stop trying to call your own shots. Daniel prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And he got no answer. In Daniel chapter 10. This is, I call it a code Dan 10. Code Daniel 10 emergency. Go a code Daniel 10 emergency. Or you're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and it just seems nothing happens. Nothing happens. You're full of faith. You trust. You believe. And you are. You fight against the flesh. You're fasting and praying and you give yourself. And it just, it just seems that nothing happens. Why? It seems uh, other people pray. You know, they get answers and they get help. And all, but when I pray, it's like nothing happens. I don't understand it. Am I doing something wrong? Was Daniel doing something wrong? What did he do? Well, we see. And Daniel prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then he gave himself to prayer and fasting. Self-discipline even. Chastising himself before God. You see, is there something, Lord? Is there something that I've done? Am I, is, I'm sorry. Please show me. Pleading the face of God, seeking the face of God in humility and prayer and repentance. And finally, 21 days later, constantly, 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 for 21 days, praying and fasting and praying for 21 days. Finally, Daniel 10, verse 12, an angel came and spoke to Daniel and said, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day, God hears you when you speak. He hears you from the very first moment you speak. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's an Old Testament name for devils, for the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, Michael, the archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. See, it started with princes of Persia, then escalated to the kings of Persia. That escalated quickly. And the kings of Persia, very powerful devils, withstood this messenger angel that was bringing the answer to Daniel. Question. I wonder why, what purpose, what reason, why would devils seek to blockade your prayers? Why do you think? Why would devils seek 
to blockade your prayers. Why do you think? What reason could there be? What would be their intention? What would happen to you if they did? You see, devils are able to fight against angels. Devils are able to delay the answer of our prayers for the reason of hoping that you'll give up. You'll give up. You'll stop trying. You'll get discouraged. You'll lose the joy of the Lord. You'll get depressed. You'll get self, uh, self-degrading. You'll lose faith. And ultimately, hopefully, according to the devils, hopefully, you'll even give up the faith. Because it seems that no matter what you do, it makes no difference. doesn't matter. God doesn't love you. He doesn't ever help you. And you start that whole downward spiral thing. And it always happens. Depression, discouragement, despair, faithlessness, and you just give in. And that, that's, the, that's the reason. That's why they do that. That's why they do that. To make the promises of God of none effect. To make the faith of none effect. That if the devils can get you to give up prayer and fasting, they win. They win over you. They win over your family. They win over your job. They win over your kids. They win over your home. They win over your work. They win over your faith. They win over the church. They win over society. They win over the country. They win over everything. When the Christians give up the faith, they quit acting like it's serious. They quit praying. They quit fasting. They quit walking. They quit working. They quit taking the faith seriously. The devils win. Because the, the saints discover achieves nothing, does nothing. I pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and nothing happens. The world just gets worse, worse, worse. I pray and pray and pray and pray, and the family won't listen. I pray and pray and pray and pray, and the kids don't listen. I pray and pray and pray, and nothing happens in my job, nothing happens in my life. It just keeps going. But Jesus said, Some of these come not out but by prayer and fasting. But if I fast and pray, an answer will come. An answer will come. An answer came for Job. An answer came for Daniel. The answer came for Noah. The answer came for Moses. The answer came for Esther. The answer came for Ruth. The answer came for all the prophets. The answer came for all the disciples. The answer came for all, all of them. The answer always comes because the Lord says, I will answer you. He didn't say when. He said he would. Our job is to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Be still and know that I am God and wait upon the Lord. How long am I supposed to wait? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Your flesh is impatient. Your flesh is impatient. Your flesh doesn't want to wait. Your flesh wants everything now. 
Your flesh wants the answer now. And if I don't get my way, if I don't get the answer when I want it, then I'm going to control. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to take the authority. I'm going to take the wheel. I'm going to try. I'm going to push. I am God who will know the difference between good and evil. I will ascend to the throne or I am like God. You see where it goes. Pride. Me, me, my I. All about my religion, my religiosity. It's all about my mysticism, my works, my power, my knowledge, me, my eye, instead of dying to self and forsaking all and following him. That's what the devils want. They want you to take the authority back upon yourself. The devils want you to become the one that calls the shots. The devils want you to, to proceed in your knowledge, your wisdom, your discernment, your ability, your power. Make it about you because that because God doesn't care about you. God doesn't hear you. He's too busy. He's too far. He's too high above you. That, or he doesn't like you. He's too angry. Or or you're not good enough. You didn't do enough. You're, you're not holy enough. You're not special enough. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe, maybe it only works in some other way. Maybe God doesn't actually care about me. But you chastise yourself before thy God. You chasten your flesh. You subdue the flesh. Say, no, no. The Lord said, and he cannot lie. He is not the author of confusion. He gives us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said he would hear me. He said he'd be with me. He said that he would help me. He said that he would answer. I will wait until he does. It may be a yes or a no or some other answer, but he will answer. He will tell me. He will show me. I just need to wait. I need to be patient on the Lord and subdue the flesh. Ignore the doubts. Ignore the fears. Ignore the devils. I need to wait upon the Lord. And you do this as well. You battle. You war. Back against the warring of the flesh. The war, the flesh wars of thy spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God. My spirit and prayer and fasting and devotion and faith and belief. I fight back, I war back, and I hold myself in that state of belief. Lord works. Every time. Every time. Every time. He never fails. God never fails. God never lies. God never forsakes. Christ never ignores you for daniel from the very first day thou didst set thine heart he heard you and sent me for your request from the very first day from the very first day from the very moment you opened your mouth and, and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and you called upon the lord he heard you and he sent me for your request. But the enemy withstood to try to hinder you. To try to discourage you. To try to cause you to give up. But you didn't, Daniel. You stayed with it. You stayed in it. You kept praying. You kept seeking. You kept chastising. You kept believing. You held on to faith. With every fiber that you had, you held on to faith. And now we're here. You broke the blockade by belief. You broke the blockade by faith. And the Lord saw your faith. The Lord saw the dedication of your faith. And, he's, and he said, he looks over and says, Michael, go bust the blockade. And, and Michael came down and busted the blockade. And that angel came and was able to bring the answer. 
Your belief, your faith moves the hand of God. The determination of faith moves the hand of God. That's how it works. That's how it works. It's real. It's real. It's mightier than the mightiest. It's higher than the highest. It's holier than the holiest. It is him, not me. It's him, not me. It's to his honor, his glory, his power, his majesty, his name above all names. It's unto him that my knee bows. It is unto him. It's of him, by him, and through him are all things that I have dedicated myself to him, given myself to him, that I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. He hears, he knows, he sees, he works, and I trust in him with all my heart and lean not to mine own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him, and he directs the paths. He makes the way in the wilderness, because he said he would. I trust in him with all mine heart. I lean not to mine own understanding, but in all my ways, I acknowledge him and he directs my paths. Prayer and fasting enhances this acknowledging of him, the trusting and the faith and the belief of him, subduing the affections and lusts thereof. It, the, it, it fights and battles and wars back against the flesh and the devils in the world. It makes the faith real, it brings the faith alive. It moves the hand of God. Prayer and fasting hardens you against the ways of the enemy. For some Christians, their shield of faith is made of tinfoil. Where it's, it's, there's something there that looks like a shield. They can move it a little bit. But the moment the enemy throws anything, it just it just punches right through. And they are shaking in faith and they're in str- struggling and wallowing in despair. And you got to pick them back up and encourage them again and again and again and again and again and again. And, and, they, and every Sunday is just a, 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 again another trying to pick them back up and encourage them. Try to keep going that they are incapable of standing alone. But in taking the faith seriously and hardening ourselves in faith against the world, against the flesh, against the enemy, and solidifying ourselves in the Lord, it turns our shields from tinfoil to tungsten. Solid steel. Nothing can penetrate. Hardened armor. No longer kid toys. Kid armor. It's a real sword. Sharper than a two-edged sword that hits like a war hammer. The billows fire. A shield of steel. An armor that can withstand the fire of the dragon. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Well, how do I do that? It's like, what does this mean? Like, like all day long, all the time, to on my knees in prayer? Well, that'd be great if you did, but no, that's not what that means. This is talking about a prayerful heart, prayerful attitude. Prayerful heart, prayerful attitude. You're in constant communication, constant connection. That your prayer life does not end when you say amen. You see, for some Christians, for many Christians, that the word amen is hanging up the phone. No. 
but to the faithful, to the disciple. It's just a period in the in a long story. It's the end of a paragraph in the beginning of another. It's the end of a sentence in the beginning of another. Amen is never the end of prayer. Amen is never the end. It means more is coming. There's more to the story. The praise doesn't end. The, the, the worship does not end with amen. It's an altering your entire outlook. It's becoming a radical. It's becoming a prophet. Let's take a look at this. Prophets are the strange breed of men. They're God's emergency men for crisis hours. And the price of being a prophet is that a man has to live alone. All God's great men have been very, very lonely men. I said very often that when I, when I turn over the pages of the Bible, that one of the most challenging pages is the white page that divides the testaments. It's a white page, but it covers a period of 400 years of total darkness. 400 years of darkness without any light. 400 years of silence without any prophetic voice. If I were to say to you tonight, I'll give you paper and pencil and you can write and give me from your knowledge of the Word of God, who was the greatest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ? I guess you might come up with Moses, or you might come up with Paul, and you'd be wrong, because the greatest character reader of all time was Jesus himself, and he said that the greatest man that was ever born of woman was John Baptist. A man who spent some 20 years there in the fastness of the desert. A lonely man, a strange man. And the great need in America tonight, I'm convinced of this, as good as Bible schools are with our assembly lines and producing their preachers, the greatest need in America tonight is prophets. Amen. And as dear Tozer used to say, if you're going to be a prophet, brother, you better settle. Or it was Dr. Parker who originally said, if you're going to be a prophet, you'll have to preach repentance, and before you start, dedicate your head to heaven, because you won't last much more than six months, maybe. John the Baptist himself didn't. He went into the wilderness until the day of his showing forth. Oh, I'd love to have heard John Baptist preach, wouldn't you? I'd like to have seen this man when God said, John, you've been here 20 years now, you better go out and preach. I told you this morning it takes God 20 years to make a man. It took him 20 years to make John Baptist, and then he preached for six months. You boys went to Bible school for six months and been preaching 20 years, no wonder you're dry. <clears throat> you better go back. Go back to the wilderness. Go back to the desert. Get into the loneliness. 
There's nothing on God's earth like silence. Just take your Bible, forget everything and everybody, and shut yourself away till that you have a new revelation from God himself. But John wore those strange garments. He was strange by the fact he wore only eleven girls around his loins. That was his strange dress. He was no gourmet. He didn't go through the, uh, you know, the long, long menu and say, well, I, I don't know, my jaded appetite, there's nothing. You sure you don't have shrimp with a special dressing or something? He just caught the flies as they were going past. The locusts pulled the wings off and put them on a hot rock. He had locust burgers every day. Breakfast, dinner, and supper. A lot of people want Jesus to come today because they're scared sick of suffering. That's why. After all, the church has been getting lashed and tormented and stripped and prostituted. 400 years and God never moved. 400 years of ritual and formality of sacrifice and all the ritualism that they went through. But somehow it was a form of godliness. And God decided to upset the apple cart, if you like. What did he do? Send a legion of angels? No, 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 no. He took a little man out of a baby out of the womb of its mother. He separated this man and he educated him in the spirit and sent him into the wilderness. And he came out and he had no forward man and he asked for no program. And he wasn't seeking prestige and he didn't beg for anybody's power and he didn't find some secret way of promotion. If you'd walk down the desert there, you could hardly tell the man the color of his skin was sunburned on the inside and fire baptized on the inside and, and, and fire baptized with the sun on the outside. And you can almost see the way he'd gone because his tears were rising like steam off the ground. They've broken my laws. You see, we think if we're really blessed and successful evangelists, you get a bigger home, a bigger car, more prestige, and brother, you think you're good because now you can buy $150 suits, whereas you wore $30 suits not too long ago. But brother, if you moved up with God, I'll tell you what you're doing. Your heart's more broken now than it was when you started 10 years ago. You see the nation going downhill more rapidly than she's ever gone before. Prostitution is increasing. Crime is increasing. Immorality is increasing. Lawlessness is increasing. And in the richest, most comfortable country in the whole world, we stink in the nostrils of Almighty God tonight, and England is equally true. It's equally true of England as well. Ah, the prophets were men who walked with God. They felt like God. They saw like God. They wept like God. They yearned like God. They had no satisfaction in seeing the beauty of the temple, the ritual, the formality, all the things that they went through. No, 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 no. God has gone from them. We keep up the formality. The money is coming in. People are nice. One or two come to the altar. But oh, what a difference when a man gets a heart that craves for revival, that longs that God will make various are, that all nations will have to acknowledge. When John Baptist came, he came with no lip that was buttoned. He had nobody to please. He had no program. He had no priorities that he was trying to push ahead. 
He never raised a dead man. No, he didn't raise a dead man. He raised a dead nation. And he did it without the miraculous in the realm of the flesh. He did it in the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, when John came, I can use the success on any level. I think John had already had his uh, program from God and the Lord said, you better get busy, boy, because you're not going to be around here very long. No, sir, they'll chop your head off if you start preaching this. Boy, we do have a few men that are prepared to lose their heads for Jesus right now. I say again, most of you men know to preach better than you do know, uh, than you do preach, but you won't do it because you'll get kicked out of the synagogue, that's why. You really have to trust God and that'll be trouble, won't it? And you've been paying in the minister's pension fund. Oh, brother, wouldn't that be awful to have to sacrifice God for Jesus? You say, I lay everything on the altar, except my golf clubs and my minister's pension fund and my big TV and if anything else you can have, Lord, but don't, don't intrude just too much on me kind of thing. Oh, I like to think of John Baptist standing there, no sponsors, nobody to agree or disagree with him. He stood there, and, and, and they came to see this strange man, anointed by the Holy Ghost. And I tell you this, if a man is anointed by the Holy Ghost, will seek it. We have blinded our eyes to truth, and we have put our fingers in our ears to the voice of God. And the judgments that are going to fall if we don't get revival, and maybe it is not an alternative of Christ or chaos, but Christ and chaos. Not revival or revolution, but revival and revolution. Not revival without concentration camps, maybe the only place you'll get it is in concentration camps. Oh, brother, we're heading for trouble, I'll tell you. Ah, the prophets were men who walked with God. They felt like God, they saw like God, they wept like God, they yearned like God. You see, <clears throat> we get way too focused on terms, uh, terminologies, details. We get so focused on religiosity, churchianity, traditions. What is a prophet? A prophet is one that goes and speaks for the Lord. The apostles and the disciples went in the spirit of a prophet. They went and they preached. They were radicals. The prophets were the Old Testament evangelists, the Old Testament disciples. They were the Old Testament, if I could say, apostles appointed by God to go speak. And the Lord preserved their words, and we have it today. They spoke for the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And we get people to, to, to seek that depth. As, as Leonard Ravenhill tired talking about John Baptist. He didn't care about anything but the Lord. He didn't care anything but the magnifying of the Lord. He didn't care anything but the word of the Lord. He didn't even care about what to eat or what to drink or wherewithal he should be clothed. He didn't even work miracles. And he's called the greatest. 
It said, I don't care even if miracles do occur or not. I don't seek that. I seek the presence of God. And whether miracles happen or not, I don't care. If they do, it's great. It's an added bonus. It's a bonus. But if they don't, so what? I seek Him. I seek His face. I seek to be with the Lord. And the Lord to use me however He sees fit. Whatever happens to me, happens to me. I don't care. That's, that's His will. To pray without ceasing. The spirit of a prophet. You see, so many of us know the word of God. We've heard it so many times. Week after week for years, we've heard it. Is it not time to put it into practice? Is it not time to take the faith seriously? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Was the cry of John Baptist as well. As you see the determination of him. And uh, we take a look, for example. Oh, got to adjust this one. The prophet comes to set up that which will upset. His work is to call into line those who are out of line. He is unpopular because he opposes the popular in morality and spirituality. Which of the prophets did they not kill? Were they wrong? Were the prophets wrong in how they went about it? Was Elijah wrong for how he cursed out and mocked the prophets of Baal? Was Apostle Paul wrong in the way he addressed Alimus the sorcerer? Was, was Peter wrong in the way he addressed Simon? Was Paul wrong in how he called out the church at Galatia? Oh, foolish Galatians! Was John wrong in how he spoke to the churches in Revelation? Was Jesus wrong and how he addressed the Pharisees and all them and the people? Was John Baptist wrong for how he spoke at the River Jordan? They come to set up the things which will upset. you. The, the, the radical Christian, the radical faith will upset the lukewarm, will upset the goats, the wolves, and the rats. But it's that upsetness that scares the Christians so much, and because they see what can happen, they refuse to even take it seriously because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to stir the pot. But we are called to be prophets. We're called to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. We're called to take the faith seriously. We're called to serve the Lord in fear and trembling. We're called to not care what the goats, the wolves, and the rats say. We're called to scare away the goats, the wolves, and the rats. Whether it fills up the room or clears it out, so be it, the Lord be praised. You don't care where the chips fall. This is what needs to be done. This is what needs to be said. This is what the faith is. I'm not moving. What we see by this as well is a gentle dogmatism. It's not brashness, harshness, or being mean. But rather, as A.W. Towser says, Great saints, great saints have always been dogmatic. 
And we need to return to a gentle dogmatism that smiles while it stands stubborn and firm on the word of God. You want to see the power of God? Then you need to start with a revival in your own life. As, as Ravenhill says, you need to go back out into the wilderness and get to the loneliness. Just you and the Lord in prayer and fasting, seeking his face and death to self and overcoming the flesh, overcoming your fears. Get on your knees before God and pour out your heart and say, thus saith the Lord to yourself. You need to preach to yourself. You need to change yourself. You need a revival to revive yourself from apathy, revive yourself from deadness, revive yourself from just the from the cold stone tomb churches and actually bring a fire and a life back to yourself again. You need to stir up yourself, you need to become a prophet. One that, that is dead to the world, dead to everything, and it'll stand there with the rod and the staff of God and stand by the riverside like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf will not wither and you preach the water of life, the bread of life, the light of life and you preach the word of God, you declare the ways of the Lord and you don't care what happens to you or what anyone else says or does. You don't care if the synagogues or churches cast you out because you know what the truth is and the truth is grace. The truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is the word of God. That this is the true reality and I'm dogmatic on this and I will not move. You want, you want your prayers to be answered? You want to see your faith seen? You want to see the power of God move upon this world? You want to see those around you be affected? Then you need to take a stand for the Lord and stop wavering. You need to stop quivering. You need to stop giving in to the fears and the doubts and the cares and the frettings and the fears. You need to stand there full of faith, unashamed, unafraid. We ought to obey God rather than men. This was the attitude of the prophets. And until we see this in the churches, the churches are going to be powerless and the world is going to dictate how the, how the faith in them should operate. The world will tell you what to preach from the pulpits and you will kowtow to the fear of man rather than the fear of God. You need to stand up like a prophet and declare the right ways of the Lord. You need to show the people they have their ways and preach repentance to get themselves right, to take the faith seriously, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that this faith is true. And when you start standing for the Lord, you watch the Lord start standing for you. Fasting and prayer is done for a reason. It's an observance of the faith that is coupled with deep prayer and supplication before God. It strengthens the faith, spirit, body, and mind. You engage in fasting by praying about it. You say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He puts it on your heart and mind. It's not because of my fasting. It's not about an observance that achieves. It doesn't necessarily mean that it will it always bring prayers to the answer you want in accordance. But it does move the hand of God. You will hear an answer. He will guide you. It doesn't mean that every prayer will always get exactly what you want. But rather you will every time see the will of God. Not what you want. Not your will. Because you've sacrificed your will for his will. What is fasting? It's not just 
the act of not eating. It's an observance of faith. It's an attitude of heart. It's a determination of the mind of faith. It's that it's the subduing of the power of your flesh. It's fighting yourself. It's warring yourself. It's lifting high the banner of the Lord, the truths of the Lord, and not doubting. It's not caring about the nets or the pits or the rocks of the enemy because the Lord will fight for you. He will cause the net they cast them to be ensnared therein, the pit they dig to fall in themselves, the stone they roll to be rolled back upon them. He shatters their, their spears, their bows of steel, and he breaks out their eyes and he fights for you because you know the Lord cares for you. 